You're listening to Resonate TL. You're listening to Resonate TL. We are your hosts. This is Ben. This is Brooksy. This is Ash. And my name is Ben Hamid. Hi. A commentary podcast from the Atlanta Chiefs. A commentary podcast from the Atlanta Chiefs. Talking about local events. Talking about places to local go. events. Art. Art. Music to listen to. The stuff that resonates and with us. And if we stumble upon a piece of Atlanta culture that resonates with us. And we're bringing it straight to you. Hence the name. Two weirdos in a closet. <laughs> this is our podcast. Resonate TL. Resonate TL. <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> it's a special birthday episode of Resin ATL. Boop. Okay. Another year around the sun? Yep. Uh, won't divulge age. I'm up, I'm up there. <laughs> um, um, I was thinking about uh, memorable birthdays and how there's some that are very memorable, right? Mm-hmm. I, for my 25th birthday, I uh, climbed a volcano. Look at you. And I got to um, experience fireworks and a torrential downpour on said volcano. Is that Guatemala? Yeah. Nice. And um, I think my 21st or 22nd birthday, I remember going out to a nice, fa- it was like one of the first, like, I went to like a really nice fancy restaurant in Atlanta and like wore a really nice dress and that was kind of memorable and uh, mm-hmm. 30 was kind of a big, more like mentally memorable. I mean, I just remember uh, making a lot of decisions that day. Yeah. How'd that work out? Uh, worked out well, in fact. Good. Turned out all right. Good. Yeah. 30s. Uh, 30. Uh... I'm looking forward to my 30s. <laughs> um, I can't wait to uh, let you guys know how that is. <laughs> yeah. They've been pretty good to me so far. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Tell me about a memorable birthday that you had. Like one that's a standout. Mm, mm, mm. Well, when I was, um, I don't know, man, I was probably like seven or eight, nine. My friends were all coming over for a birthday party, and uh, I decided to go out back and start throwing rocks at a hornet's nest. (laughs) Always, always a sound decision. Mm -hmm. Always a good Mm -hmm, one. mm -hmm. I, very inquisitive uh, child, (laughs) curious, and uh, yeah, I threw a couple rocks up there, I don't know why, and immediately swarmed on me I started running back up it was like slow motion when I was running back up the stairs trying to get back up to the to the inside the house I got about one two three four five six bangs on the top of my head oh, like no. these guys were serious assassins like dive bombers they got me <laughs> I spent my friends had to go home or anybody that came, probably like two or three kids from the neighborhood, had to go. I stayed in the bed with like ice on my head. That's rough. Pretty bad, pretty bad. Um, learned that lesson. Uh, <laughs> until, don't remember much else about that day. Until the next year when you did the yeah. exact same thing. No, I never did that again. <laughs> never did that again. Um, memorable birthdays. I I mean, that's pretty memorable. That's memorable. I, I mean... See, see, my birthday tends to fall in August. Uh, my birthday's in my birthday's in August, and it, my birthday's in 
Stop. 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 Right now. My birthday is in August and it tends to fall on our annual cabin trip with the fellas. Mm-hmm. Like around there. Mm-hmm. So I get to kind of like lump my birthday in with that. So I have a lot of memorable birthdays. A lot of birthday jams. A lot of birthday... A lot of uh, birthday um, marmalades. Marmalades? I don't even know that. It was like jams? Oh, God. <laughs> you in the wordplay. <laughs> we had a bunch of marmalade. I'm going to start calling jams marmalades. Y'all guys want to get a marmalade up? It was um, this birthday, though, turning 30, was just like a, you know... It was such a memorable thing, you know, like I feel yeah. like I'm grown now. Like yeah. I can start doing life. Yeah. You know, so no. it, it, 30, 30's big folks. When you guys, when you get there, let me know. Yeah. it's Let uh, me know. We'll like compare notes because uh, it's a fun time so far. Do you remember when the first, when you experienced the first solar eclipse though? Um... You know, I was trying to think about that the other day because a couple of my coworkers and I who are also in our 30s, I remember going outside. This must have been like maybe second grade, first or second grade, maybe. And we had made this, we had made something out of paper to view the eclipse. And I think it was a partial eclipse, though. Um mm. If not I, a total eclipse. I want to say not a total eclipse of so the heart. So you needed it now, but not more than ever. Well. It was like now, but not. This is not going to be the total. No. Okay. Um, a total okay. eclipse of the heart. Sorry. Turn around. Every now and then I get a little bit lonely and you never come around. Every now and then I get a little bit tired of listening to the sound of my tears. <laughs> Is that not right? Did we supposed to key change like that? <laughs> Can we play this? Everybody, we'll be right back. We're going to play Total Eclipse of the Heart. We'll be right back. Let's sing along with it. You're not home, your family. What? That's not Olive Garden. We're your family. Oh, every now and then I get a little bit lonely and you never come around. Turn around. Every now and then I get a little bit tired listening to the sound of my tears. Every now and then I get a little bit nervous and you never call again. Turn Every now and then I fall apart Because I need you 
good singer. Okay, thank you. We did it. All right. That happened. The so. last total eclipse that, over the United States was in 1979. So, 38 years ago. So, like, in Atlanta yeah. in the 80s, there had to have been some type of eclipse in the 80s that made it get dark in Atlanta. I'm looking at it because right Because it got dark for a bunch of kids, and I... I I'm about to tell an anecdote. I'm about to tell an anecdote. It got dark for a bunch of kids. I'm about to tell an anecdote. In 1984, there was an eclipse of the sun. In 1984, yep. There was, um, across the metro, um, about 99.7% of the sun's surface was covered. Streetlights came on as skies began to darken some 20 minutes after noon. May 1984. Maryland Elementary. I was out at the portables. They called the the classrooms out in the trailers. Yeah. Portables. Yep. And uh, this is before my elementary school was improved and got all fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the worst playground with like a pole sticking up from a tire with cement in it. That was supposed to be like a, I don't know, you played tether ball or something on it, but there was no ball on it. And then broken down basketball courts without any rims or nets and a uh, couple like jungle gyms and stuff. What was I talking about? Ben, ben went Who to knows? elementary school. Who knows? I just in, went on uh, a Darfur. flashback. I went on a flashback <laughs> to Maryland elementary before it was improved. Uh, gentrification folks. But um, I remember being in third grade. I was passing a note in class that was like, in about five minutes, it's going to be total darkness. Total I, darkness. That's all the note said. Yeah. My teacher, Mrs. James, was notorious for taking kids' hands, pulling them back, and slapping them with a ruler. That's Child abuse. not allowed today. And she was later, I think she was fired. This is why it happened to me. I passed a note around. Oh. People were talking about it in snickering. And yeah. she's like, who wrote that note? Yeah. Everyone's like, of course, everyone's called me out. Well, you know, that's an ominous note. But no, no, no. I was saying something so obvious and stupid because everyone knew what was about to happen. They they warned the kids that was about to get dark. I don't know why I passed the note. I don't know what came over me to share that information, Mm -hmm. but I did. Yeah. And when she asked who shared the note, everyone said it was Ben. And she brought me up at the front of the class. She pulled my hand back Ooh. and she smacked that shit with a ruler Yuck. like three times. It didn't hurt, but it was embarrassing as shit. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't do that to kids. This is the same teacher that tied a child up while everyone else went to recess. Again. Again. I had some horrible elementary school experiences. Ben, I had some good ben teachers. Went to elementary school. <laughs> Mrs. In Darfur. Mrs. Thomas. Miss Thomas, because she was not married. Fourth grade, Miss Thomas. So mean. I broke my arm. I was walking. I was in the hallway and I was in line to get into class. And I was talking. You know how you're kind of like your back's turned, but you're walking this way. Mm-hmm. Fred Johnson decides to stick his leg out and trip me. Mm. I fell. Mm-mm. I landed right on my elbow. That sucks. I couldn't move my elbow. I went into the classroom like, Miss Thomas, I can't move my arm. Yeah. She's like, you need to sit down. <laughs> I said, but Miss Thomas, I can't move my arm. I think it's broken. You need to sit down. Class about to start. Okay. Next day, I come in. Cast. 
You had a broken arm. Broken arm. You know what she says? Hmm. That's what you get for horse playing. No apology. No, I'm sorry I should have let you go to the nurse. Wow. So she was not... Um, she was horrible. Yeah. Um, I ho- spiteful I, woman, and you should not be teaching if I'm you sure were that I'm sure elementary schools um, today are much mm. less militant than yours. No, it wasn't militant. It was underfunded. Mm-hmm. I don't think that any of the teachers that you had, or or even some that I had, would have gone from disgruntled and like you know phoning it in on a daily basis would have gone to like superb educators right. with with more money i think that i think that possibly what happens there because of people that are even my age now that went through college and then went to then went to go get a master's degree to teach you know depending on where you are depending on where you educate you might be at a school with I don't know. Poor management. Poor Poor management or really, you know, especially in the Atlanta area, you might get into a school that their number one priority all the time is test scores. So that doesn't really allow you to truly educate based on the education that you received. Like why sent, why require teachers to have degrees and master's degrees if they're, if they're really more like, um, they're not paying teachers enough. So if you're going to go work for all that extra education, then it doesn't matter. I'm not saying the two anecdotal things that I just said about Miss James. I was really I was I was flying off of the cuff off of this solar eclipse crap. These are two teachers out of hundreds of teachers I've had. Right. Mm -hmm. I've had great teachers. My father was a teacher at Atlanta Public Schools. When Atlanta Public Schools came under fire for cheating on test scores. I had to really put that in perspective. I mean, I, I had to think about it in turn. I know my dad wasn't doing that. I know in people, he, there's great teachers in Atlanta public schools. The problem is incentive. Mm-hmm. When the teachers in the schools are given incentives and you, it, in order to get this money, you better have these scores. Meanwhile, the kid, they don't have the resources to get the kids to a level playing field to begin with. So what they do is they flub the numbers. I think the word incentive is supposed to, in the workplace and in a school, which is also a workplace, an incentive is supposed to be a, an, an incentive. <laughs> um, it's supposed to be a way to get people to do above and beyond expectation. But whenever the test scores that are Place. If it's contingent upon test scores only. Well, I think that's no longer an incentive. Now that's a mandate to make a certain percentage of kids pass a test year after year. But that's not looking at each group of kids um, as minds to be molded, more like kids to push through the system. Or dollar signs. Because sure. when... Numbers are what you need to get more money. When better test scores are what you need to get more money, you need the money for your kids. So it's almost like you're willing to do anything as a teacher to get the funding and resources for your students. I hate blabbing about shit that I'm not certain about, but the correlation between the money provided to to the schools depended directly upon the scores and the performance Mm -hmm. of the schools. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And that seems like an oxymoron. Mm -hmm. It seems like the schools that are performing better must be better resourced, must have better teachers. They're probably doing all right. Why would you need to push more money? And that's a, that's a hard question because it might be, okay, these schools are doing well. Let's, let's incentivize. But it's also like, what's what about the kids that are forced to go to this school based upon jurisdiction, residential area, whatever it may be. If that school never performs well because they're under-resourced, they're caught in a catch-22 mm-hmm. of never getting the funding. How about we stop right here and we take a look and see if what we're talking about is true. Doom, 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 doom. Okay, we looked it up, folks. It's true. What we're talking about, it happened. It wasn't a dream. Um, I looked up an article from Color Lines, a great blog. If you're not familiar with it, check it out, colorlines.com. And uh, this article is from 2011. Julianne Hing wrote an article called Cheating Atlanta Schools Received 500K in Bonuses. What now? Educators have been implicated in receiving about over 500000 in bonuses through a district merit pay program. This is a quote from Julianne Hing. Nearly 180 educators and 38 principals were implicated in July in a widespread teacher cheating scandal to improve student test scores. It may not have been the carrot alone that motivated educators to engage in such egregious acts as filling in tests for students who actually never took the test or holding test score changing parties at teachers' homes on weekends. Uh, Investigators with the GBI, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, found cheating at 44 of the 56 public schools they examined, spurred in large part by a culture of fear, intimidation, and retaliation that was pervasive throughout the district and created by a top-down mandate to improve standardized test scores at any cost. Teachers reportedly faced public shaming sessions and sanctions if they did not cooperate mm. with the cheating mandate. So, seriously, like Beverly Hall, former Atlanta public school superintendent, received just over 580000 over the course of her tenure. Where high-stakes testing and pay-for-performance schemes go, the incentive to cheat seems to follow merit pay. So you have a couple quotes from the MIT. Yeah, there was a an opinion piece. Um, it's in the tech, which is the MIT um, newspaper. Mm-hmm. But this is interesting, and I did not know this. And I wonder if this is true for every state. Again, somebody that has like this kind of insidery knowledge would be awesome. Mm-hmm. But um, roughly... So the, what the, this article points out is that the reason for all of this is because the funding mechanisms for schools don't really make, not that they don't make sense, but just like with a lot of government funded things, when you try to apply the same rules to completely different situations, when you just try to like put a blanket statement, a blanket tax rate, a blanket mm-hmm. anything, you're going to run into problems. But this is saying that for Atlanta public schools, um, about 76% of the funding for Atlanta public schools comes from the local property taxes. So in a lot of places in in the metro Atlanta area, that could be like 76% of like nothing. You know what I mean? Like 
not a lot because whenever gentrification happens and people move into new areas, then think, you know, property values go down. Um, you know, you live in a cool, you know, urban neighborhood and then, uh, you have a kid and you have to start thinking about schools and schools, you know, do, uh, trying to figure out where your kid's going to go to school is sometimes a couple year process for a lot of people, especially if they are trying to get their kid into like a Montessori program or um, a, a different kind of school, not just a public school. Yeah. And what do they do? They move. Most people move. They do. Because they're not satisfied with what is offered, you know. In, well, that's important for in a young place family that they when they're looking for a place to live. Yeah. yeah. So, because that's just not a factor that you, I mean, a lot of people that are single and, or a lot of young couples, I mean, you know would not, I mean, we didn't make a decision of our neighborhood based on schools. So why would it, a lot of people make that decision to invest in the school system that they already are? A lot of people don't think to like, let's invest in the school system in the neighborhood that we really like. No, people follow the school system that they like. Right. So, so the people that have an option to right. follow the school system they like, there are a lot of people that are stuck in a, in a neighborhood, not stuck, well, that are that are mem- that are not able to get to or have access to those neighborhoods. I mean, my you know, I went those to the better same, schools. I mean, I went to the you know, our, my hometown is is a little different than the Atlanta. I mean, a lot different than the Atlanta public school system because we just had one school with you know an elementary school, a middle school, and a high school. Um, there were county schools because when you live in a rural area, sometimes like every city, especially if it, if especially if a county is made up of a lot of unincorporated towns, they kind of lump them together. You know, there was opportunity. I'm sure, you know, there could have been opportunity. I'm sure my mom was like, hey, there's probably a much better school system, you know, 50, 30 miles down the road, but that requires me then leaving family, leaving a support system, leaving family members who are willing to help out with childcare. Like everybody knows that this is it's what happens. It's not always an option. It's not always. It's not an option no. for a lot of people, it's not. especially now when most people have two income families. Um, a lot of people still depend, even if they are making comfortable salaries, they're still depending on like family members and stuff to watch their kids. And they're right. still depending on the, the support system around them and the tribe that they've already formed to help raise their children. So, so this said that 76% of the funding, um, in Atlanta, uh, public school systems from 2011 to 2012, and like they're just taking the budget from 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. So this was like when all this was pretty fresh, the scandal stuff was fresh. Yeah. Um, right after that. Yeah. yeah I think came, 2009 is when it started the incentive programs. Right. And so in 2011, the hammer came down. Yeah. It came from local property taxes compared to 23% and 2% from the state and federal sources, respectively. So the state is giving 23% of its budget to the school and the lion's share of it is coming from the local area. So, I mean, that's... It really does kind of put that into perspective that if you if you look at a neighborhood that you know doesn't have high property values, that's a strange way to derive funding for education. Well, this uh, is the next sentence. Okay, keep, um, keep going. You read the whole thing before we break it down. Well, I'll read you just the next couple sentences. Um, Run it. Yeah. When poorer districts derive most of their revenue from already diminished local funding sources, it is no wonder that a cycle of disadvantage is reinforced. 
This kind of high-stakes standardized testing that closes schools and puts teachers out of work when standards aren't met often casts this kind of context to the wayside. Meaning, you know, people are like, why can't they just do better? Well, they don't have the money to do better. And in doing so, the legislative initiatives that have created this new norm have transformed transformed tests that should be used to gauge progress and needed for support into additional sources of pressure for already challenged districts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like you were saying earlier that, um, well, we were saying off of the mic, you know, um, these people that cheated on these tests are kind of heroes and, and you can look at it that way and they are in a sense, I'm really interested to know how they're, um, portrayed in like what the spin is going to be on this movie that they're making about it mm. because it's not as I mean, okay. If they're heroes for the fact that they were doing something for bonuses for their own greed, not okay. Not okay. If your job is dependent upon the scores of your students, your job is in de- in jeopardy. And if you don't, if they don't perform well, you're fired. Mm-hmm. That's what the, that's that was the fear that they're talking about, the intimidation that they're talking about. And when you put fear and intimidation on the table, people do crazy stuff. Again, this is an opinion piece. So it says, um, so going forward, how should we fairly measure the progress of our school districts and keep what is often a locally nuanced context in mind? Perhaps means for improvement lie not in the data that we already have, but rather in the data that we don't have. Uh, and then he quotes a book for, by Anya Kamenetz. Um, it's called The Test, Why Our Schools Are Obsessed with Standardized Testing, But You Don't Have to Be. Suggest a big data approach for evaluating school districts' progress as one possibility. Considering test scores amidst the background of other metrics like the local poverty rate, graduation rates, the amount a school spends per capita on students may be a better insight into the progress made by students, teachers, and school administrators, given the unique socioeconomic position of that district. Solutions like these should be the future for evaluating the American education system in a fair, realistic light. So they're basically saying you got to look at the whole, like you have to look at the context. So if you, if you do take a percentage of the kids that excel at this test and then you compare it and you realize that if the school does terribly or, or, or below average, right. And they are a school with basically X amount of dollars, X amount of resources. Um, and they're spending a lot of money but they're doing terribly, well, that's a problem. But if they are doing probably average and, you know, there's very little funding that goes into that school, very low graduation rate, they're doing average. I mean, in the context, they might actually be okay. And of course, if they do above average, then you want to, you really want to try to focus into that school and see how you can even make it better for those students. Yeah. I mean, I think that's good, but that I agree that that would be a huge. That would take a lot of well, extra that's money. Jobs, though, that's people's jobs to that figure would... out where to spend money. We we allot so much money for military, for other kinds of stuff, right? And that if the least we could do is provide education resources. To make sure that no schools fall under. Yeah. 
the very least we could do for our citizens who are going to be the next engineers, doctors, people that we need to live, presidents, politicians, these people, we want them to be smart. We don't want anybody. It's kind of like healthcare for me. I don't want anybody to be sick. I want everyone to be in good shape, healthy, making good decisions. I want people to make educated decisions. I want the people that live near me to be smart. (laughs) And it comes with allocating the proper funds for education. Well, I think that 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 particular approach that they just, you know, kind of brought up would create a lot of jobs. But we just but Trump just cut like nine billion dollars from the education budget um, from public schools and to put it into vouchers. So I I can't imagine that that's going to happen. Right. I'm sure they're just doing the same thing. They're just what they're doing now is that they're watching they're basically watching high performers and probably like really paying close attention to anybody that maybe has had a, a significant e- increase because that is what happened with the public school, Atlanta public schools. People thought they were getting better at a great rate. So they're probably just looking for outliers like that and then opening investigations instead of creating a system where it was judged on a more large, like on a larger context of, of school performance in, in the context of the neighborhood that that school is in or the district, you know? Yeah. Well, we've been talking a lot, um, about this stuff. So, um, we want to know what you guys think. I think that we should talk to a teacher. Yeah. I think that we should talk to someone who's actually taught in Atlanta public schools. This is, We've been rambling a little bit. I'm going to try to get a little feedback from a veteran in the game, a teacher in Atlanta Public Schools, a retired teacher in Atlanta Public Schools since back in the day. Close uh, friend of mine, family member, father. Here's what he had to say when I asked him about the teaching scandal and for a little bit of insight on this subject. Yeah, George Bush and No Child Left Behind is the thing that did that. And they they passed the No Child Left Behind, but they didn't pass the money to fund it. So then they want to give you all these tests and wonder why kids aren't doing any better because you didn't fund the extra teachers or the paraprofessionals or whatever. So then they said, well, you're going to lose money next year if you don't do it. And you might lose your job because your kids did not perform any better i don't really think that would have been the case because they could have made a case on but but you know it was basic bullshit even i was sitting at the vets out in sagamore hills i was sitting at the vets and i was listening to the people they were talking about the scandal and they all said these were people from out there and one of them was a teacher and she said there's no way they could get those kids to learn that stuff there is there are big problems in the schools and they aren't because people aren't trying to teach those kids they have lots of problems they've never been tested for so many things so forget it all right that was pops just a little clip and uh, hopefully we can get a full interview with him because I'm sure he has a wealth of knowledge about teaching and just in general, it'd be nice to get his feedback. That was insightful. Yeah. 
If you are um, an Atlanta public school teacher or administrator, we'd like to hear your thoughts, you know, because I know that we didn't get everything right here. And this is just an opinion um, from two people that are not educators. Um, I'd be really curious to know what things are like today, like what the how how the cheating scandal affected the school system. There's a movie being made about it, actually. Um, Brad Pitt's company is producing it all about the Atlanta public school cheating scandal. So I'm interested to hear what people who are currently living, you know, as you know, you're working as educators, you're in the public school system and, and how really the last 10 years have affected what's going on now, either for the better or the worse. We'd like to share that with the community. So leave a comment on our page or you can even send us a um, email at resonatlpodcast at gmail.com or put something on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash resonatl. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram. Um, uh, our handle is resonatl and reach out to us. Tell us what you think. Even if you're not in the Atlanta public school system, if you're outside, if you're no, in- just Atlanta, <laughs> if you're in some of the metro Atlanta areas, you know, give us your thoughts um, because we we both know public school teachers and we know that um, it's it's uh, it's a labor of love. So we would like to hear kind of what the struggles are day to day. If you are a public school teacher. Yeah. Bless your heart. You are loved. You are appreciated. Yes, you are. You are the fabric of mm-hmm. our society, mm-hmm. even though people don't give you the credit that you deserve, yeah. nor the pay. Mm-hmm. So I feel your pain and uh, keep doing good work, teaching yeah. these kids because we need it. We, we need you. you so much. Anyway, we have fun this week mm-hmm. and we'll be back next week. Yeah. With an interview. Yes. And uh, we'll see you next week.